Welcome to Press Break. It's the Sports Shift Media College Basketball Podcast. I am Jake Thomas. I'm joined here by Johnson. We're here to bring you a recap of week one and talk about the new AP Top 25 rankings and then dive into some games that we're looking forward to this week. Brandon, you know, we finally get some basketball games to talk about. How's it feel? It feels uh, bittersweet. Um, of course, having college basketball back is phenomenal. Um, upsets are in the air, um, but bittersweet because unfortunately my Cavaliers fell victim to one of those upsets. Um, but overall, it's early in the season. I'm not going to dwell on it. It's great to have college basketball back in our lives. Definitely. That's uh, something that uh, we're going to have more of those moments here as we move forward because I know both of our teams – are going to be up in the rankings, so they're going to get upset, and uh, we'll have to sit here and talk about it. But it was great to just to talk about basketball. There were a lot of big games we saw week one, some champions crowned in some tournaments. So, uh, mm-hmm. There were 100 games a day. I think that I counted. I went through ESPN and counted just overall the amount of games. Yeah, played, uh, so. definitely uh, sub-100, and that was – just it was great, man. I mean, feast week is always good. It's a feast week is always good, but more so in 2020 with the COVID situation and all the sports that we had taken taken away from us and all the, you know, the the adaptations we've had to endure because of that. It was awesome, and more so because of all of those things to have feast week and be able to sit back over Thanksgiving break, watch a ton of basketball. I watched teams that I've never even heard of just because. Hey. It's back, and we're and we're ready to rock and roll. I mean, we last time we were able to talk college sport, college basketball, we were having the conference championships and the NCAA tournament ripped from our hearts. We were crying over it. I was crying over it. Um, but yeah, it's great to have it back, and um, it's it's a good way to end twenty twenty so far. And it, that's one thing with COVID and everything going on. We don't really know how long we're gonna have it, so. It, well, we might as well cherish it while we get it. So with that, we can dive into the upsets. We've had three of them in the first mm-hmm. week. Do you want to talk a little bit about your Cavaliers to start things off? Yeah, I've had time to sit back and become more rational about it, so I can talk uh, cordially about the game. Um, it was just a from the start, it was evident it was going to be a bad matchup. Um, on paper, San Francisco should not be in a ball game with a team like UVA, um, but any given day, right? That's why we love sports. Uh, their guard play very early on, I, I realized they were too quick on the perimeter for us. Um, the two guards they have, uh, Shabazz, I believe was one of them, and the other one, I, I can't remember his name, but they were just quicker. Um, Tony Bennett tried to insert Reese Beekman, who's supposed to be Kihei's relief. Um, he likes having two ball handling guards he put him in and we couldn't match up uh and then in a stroke of coaching genius you go back and you look at when when san francisco went into the under 12 timeout uh they were down i believe it was 11 to 3 11 to 5 um uva was taking care of business things looked like they were going to go the way they were supposed to but then he came out of that timeout and he went five out um, you know, five out being he put all his guys across the perimeter. You make a pass, you cut down the lane, and you go to the corner. And um, that caused a lot of defensive inefficiencies uh, because of the speed. It created a lot of one-on-one matchups. It made navigating the hard-hedging ball screens that's patented to the pack line defense harder um, on the defense and easier for the offense to get around. Um, and then, of course, they went and shot above 40% from the three, um, which is the exact same thing that happened with the UMBC game. And when you have when you have mismatches on the perimeter, especially when it comes to speed and your ability to defend them, if they make any shots at all, they're going to win. Um, and it just so happens. I'm proud that they were still in the game because they played awful. Um, Hauser was a bright spot. Beekman was a little bit of a bright spot off the bench, but... I, we were just, in my opinion, and I'm, I'm getting killed on this, but uh, we were outcoached. And, and people don't like, people in the UVA kingdom don't like uh, to say that CTB gets outcoached. 
but uh, that, that's what it was. They went five out on offense, and we couldn't find a set of five that could guard straight up. And uh, San Francisco came out. Uh, I don't like the timeout he took um, at the front end of the one-and-one, one, only because it was his last one, and it was a 30-second timeout. So now you take that 30-second timeout. You're only down one point. If you wait and see what happens, the worst possible outcome is a one-possession game, and you're down three. In my, in my opinion, I would have waited to get the ball across half court because now once you get the ball across half court, you can run more of a set. You have a little bit more options at your disposal. But when he called that timeout early, now you've got to kind of draw up a play for three scenarios. You've got to draw up a play in the event that he makes no free throws, one free throw, or both free throws. And you got to do all of that in a 30-second timeout. Um, so I would have liked to see the one-and-one play out and then get the ball across half court with a timeout. But I'm here doing a podcast, and CTB is a national championship coach. So I don't know. Um, but hats off to San Francisco. Um, they played well. They shot well. And they had a good game plan after they adjusted. And that's what it was. They made the adjustments, and we didn't. We took the L. And on we go. That's definitely, it's definitely interesting hearing it from your point of view. As I watched it, I thought the the first half was going to be a classic Virginia rock fight. I think it was 24, 21 at halftime. Uh, I thought it, this is early on. They're going to throw and just cruise to like a 10 point victory. Just not have, uh, it's not going to be an impressive win, but the, at least pull out uh, a victory. But then you're right. The, that was great coaching in the second half by San Francisco that they, they really made Virginia look vulnerable in, in the sense that, they did Virginia was a second slow they, they just couldn't get the right matchup to stay on the guys and, and really contest uh, all, all the shots on that end so it is an impressive win uh, luckily uh, you got to see right before this uh here we're sitting here recording on Tuesday night uh, you got to see a big victory to turn things around here going into yeah the- um Took on St. Francis. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out. Um, it was a it was a great moment for me. I went fangirl crazy. Um, St. Francis in the second half entered a player uh, number thirty two. His name was Jariah Coleman. I actually had the pleasure of coaching him at Great Bridge Christian Academy. Um, so to see him, you know, someone I coached two years ago get in that game, um, it was good. But it was definitely. I don't know what coach Tony Bennett said exactly to his team, but you can see that the message was received loud and clear. It was 45, 13 at halftime. Um, We went, we opened the game on, I think a 22 to seven run. And then to open the first half, St. Francis hit two back-to-back threes. And then we closed out on a 23 to four run. (laughs) I mean, it was, (laughs) it was, the message was sent. Um, he actually, believe it or not, he didn't. He, I think he's tried to send a message to Kihei Clark. He didn't start Kihei. Kihei only totaled about nine or not, but somewhere between nine and 12 minutes in this game. He did not start Kihei. He started um, Sam Hauser, Jay Huff, uh, Thomas Wolden Tensai. Um, he didn't even start Casey Morcell. He started Reese Beekman. Um, so that was a message was definitely sent. Um, and and they responded. That's uh, that's interesting to see this early on making the switch. But I, it, this is the time to get those coaching moments in. If guys aren't playing up to their potential, uh, might as well sit them for a game and uh, try try to get a teaching moment. Absolutely. That that's interesting that you said that about Saint Francis. Saint Francis. Um, I actually grew up about forty five minutes from there, so. Okay. Anytime, anytime these big schools <laughs> play them, it's always interesting because I know a, a few teams have traveled to St. Francis, and it's in the middle of nowhere. So, that's so how many people? Because I come across this all the time. A lot of people think that SFPA St. Francis, because they always say St. Francis PA, and because no one knows about it, everyone thinks it's St. Francis Preparatory Academy or some sort of off the wall academy. They don't understand it's no St. Francis in Pennsylvania. Do y'all have a common error with that? Uh, I've never actually seen that, but uh, I mean, most of the people that I'm talking to, they usually 
are from the area, so they they don't uh, okay. they don't have heard of it before. Nice. Okay. Well, let's talk about a uh, Richmond in Kentucky. Uh, that it's I, listen. Richmond, Richmond is legitimate. Um, they they had forty votes um, in the preseason AP coaches poll uh, to be in the top twenty five. Uh, I believe that put them at the fifth most vote-getting school that did not get in. So they had 40. And uh, John Calipari, I don't think that's who they wanted to see game one. Now, they were supposed to have a tune-up game against Detroit Mercy. That got canceled because of COVID issues with Detroit Mercy. They've also had to cancel another game that we learned about today. So Detroit Mercy's having some COVID issues. But I got to think the Calipari, when he saw that, okay, our first game is going to be against Richmond, there had to be some pucker in there. Um, what did you see there in that game? Uh, I mean, this is the classic Kentucky team that's uh, seven freshmen, three transfers, guys that haven't played together much. But you, you have one of these games from Kentucky, but I don't think it had anything to do with Kentucky being a young team. Richmond is just good. They they made Kentucky play their style, and they they outplayed them in every facet of the game yeah i agree uh if y'all haven't paid attention this is not going to be a one-off now there is the one knock that richmond has is that they're in the a10 and the a10 is typically fairly loaded i mean you've got saint bonaventure in there you've got dayton in the in the a10 lots of schools that make common appearances in the ncaa tournament but not only are they legitimately talented, they're experienced. This this blew my mind. They started in that game against Kentucky. They started two grad seniors, two seniors, and a sophomore. That that's the the they're long, they're athletic, but that experience. Uh, the sophomore, I believe, is Ko. He's the sophomore, and he is uh, well. No, not Ko. Uh, Ko wasn't the sophomore. KO is one of the grad seniors, but he's a man out there. And when you're starting five, has four to five years of experience playing in a system with each other, and that's what you're throwing out there. Um, that that's awesome. They're gonna be we're gonna be hearing their name. I hope they can. I hope they can weather the test that the A10 will be for them. Um, Kentucky, you know, they only put up 32 points in the in the first half. Kentucky played awful in the first half. Awful. And Richmond could not have played any worse either. It was just a sloppy first half. Kentucky only puts up 32. They actually only put up 32 in both halves. They mirrored their score where Richmond went 28 and I believe 46, something like that. Um, but Chris Mooney over there in uh, Richmond, he's got he's got something special this year. And uh, I, I, they're now Richmond's now my favorite to win the A10. I got to say it. I mean, I don't care what anyone else has. That. I took away too. Just watching them, I don't. I'm excited because I think the top two teams are going to be in St. Louis. So that's the, the that's the matchup that I'm really looking forward to. I think those two teams are going to battle out in the games. But I want to get something to. I want to hear your opinion on. They shoot oh ten from three. Mm-hmm. They shoot in the low thirties range, which is what they've been at. I think six years or so, they shoot around 30 to 32%. Their championship team shot 38%. I, the game has changed enough that Calipari, he gets all these top recruits. They got six of the top 60. It's going to matter if they cannot get that shooting percent, at least in the 35 range as a team. If they compete for a title this year, I think that uh, is the key area the Calipari has to address. Yeah, and especially going through the SEC, you know, I that a lot of teams in the SEC hang their hat on good three-point field goal percentage. Um, I think of Florida, they always have good three-point shooters. Um, Tennessee, as of late in the last three to five years, good three-point shooters. Even LSU, um, good three-point shooters. It's not about the size and the domination anymore. You know, when you go back and you think of you know, the, the platoon system as it was patented when he had his, you know, 
basically seven McDonald's All-Americans on one team and he could just rotate five in at a time. Um, that was a different era of basketball. Now you've got guys, I mean, there were a couple times two years ago for Duke, Zion was playing point guard. I mean, you've got these guys now that are six, eight, six, nine, seven foot that can come down the floor handling the ball. Um, and that because of that, they're working on their perimeter game. And I think you're absolutely right. That's going to be a concern for them moving forward. If they can't efficiently score from the three-point line, um, it's, going to be a, it's going to be a tough road for Kentucky. I think that there's going to be a lot of games they can win the interior battle, and that's obviously how they're built right now. Um, they are young, but shooting travels. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care if it's your first game and you've got some jitters. Shooting and defense always travel because those are the things you work the hardest on, and those are the things that come second nature when your mind is elsewhere. And um, it did not it did not look good for the Wildcats for sure. So that's a great observation. I saw the same thing, and we'll see how it develops throughout the year. But it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough road in the SEC if if Kentucky can't shoot above 35 percent from the three point line. But, uh, we'll dive into uh, the last of the upsets. Uh, for the week, hmm. they they looked impressive through their first couple games, and then they go out and lose to Virginia Tech, eighty-one to seventy-three. Ended up being a great game with uh, the questionable charge call there on the inbound yeah. play, but they go down. Uh, Virginia Tech, they seem to have a knack for this thing every year. The open up the season with the uh, a big win. I thought they were going to run away with it. They had that 11-0 run in the second half. But then from that point forward, it still all the Hokies' way. They hit a big three. I, I questioned I'll, – I'll never question Jay Wright, but uh, I questioned the decision to crash on the post there. Uh, I think it was the three that got Virginia Tech within one with about two mm-hmm. minutes to play. Um, I I think they were up four. Just a few questionable calls there down the stretch. But, uh, again, I sit here and then we uh, may right make the decisions. But I, I thought Virginia Tech played a very good game, and they pulled out a victory. Uh, I think Villanova moving forward is still going to be one of the top five teams in the country. But they have things that they need to improve on. Yeah, absolutely. And and you made some good points. There were some questionable calls there for sure. Uh, but keep in mind, too, it, this is the first weekend of live action for the referees as well. Um, I don't think some of those calls go the way they go later on in the season. Um, and you hit the nail on the head. Jay Wright, he will write the ship, if you will. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> this game is all about tech. As a UVA fan, it's hard for me do anything positive for tech um you know us being in the media we got to do our best to stay unbiased um but i think rivalry and hatred of your rival goes hand in hand with sports so if i don't have to say anything good about tech i won't but this game was all about tech for me um and i'm nervous uh as a uva fan you know i've watched uh grow um in tech's program and i know how much of a problem he is He's got great IQ, great vision and feel. He can get to the rack, and when his when his stroke and his confidence is high, he's deadly from three. I knew what he was going to bring to the game. I knew what he was going to bring to this team this year. But what I didn't know was redshirt juniors, we got Key Valuma and Justin Mutz. I had no idea that they were going to put together the dominant performance they were going to. At 6'7 and 6'9 respectively, they went 12 for 17 combined from the field three of three from deep, and total 35 points. They are a problem. And then they bring in sophomore Naheem Aline, I believe is how they pronounced his name. I don't know if the broadcast had it right, but we're going to go with Aline. He comes off the bench and scores 20, but he went four from six from three. And he's a guard, and yeah. but he's a big guard at 6'4". I mean, that that's big in college basketball as a guard to be 6'4". Um, and, you know, Mike Young... He likes guard-led teams, a fun stat. Um, in that game, Chris Young or Mike Young played six guards, three forwards, and he had two extra guards on the bench that didn't see playing time. He loves running that three-out, three-guard-out 
two big men down low. And if he's going to get contributions um, from Aline and, and Beattie's going to do what he does, and Aluma and Mutz are going to produce like they did, that is not the ace. That is not a team indicative of a preseason media vote of 11th in the ACC. That's a team that is going to be in the top six and give trouble to everybody. So kudos to Tech. Um, that tastes like vinegar coming out of my mouth. Um, but kudos to them. I was impressed. I'm a little nervous. Um, you know, they, they did struggle with Radford a little bit their first game. They also played Southern Florida uh, or South Florida. So not great teams, but they handled them. I can't sit here and, and knock them for that when we didn't handle San Francisco. But I'm just I'm enamored with what Tech did. And, and that's great. Um, you know, you're a West Virginia fan. And part of being in a in a conference that dominates a single sport is you need your bottom teams to have good years, too, if you want to be that conference in that sport. Um, so to see a team that was picked 11th in the in the preseason um, finish to go out and do that to Villanova and look as good as they have is great. Um, on the other side of that, you know, we earlier today, I believe it was. No, it was last week. Uh, St. Francis, the team that just got done playing UVA today and getting housed. They beat Pitt at Pitt their first game of the season. <laughs> So that's a team that was projected to be in the top 10. So it's just all, all praise goes out to Mike Young and Tech for that. And um, we'll see y'all twice and see what happens. But right now, y'all look good. I agree with you there because uh, being a West Virginia fan, I don't like saying good things about Virginia Tech either. One player that you didn't mention, or you might have, but I might have missed it, that I was impressed with watching that game. Uh, the last couple of possessions, he makes some big plays. Cartier Jara. Uh, Mm-hmm. He, the K-State transfer, I've seen him play for a few years now playing against West Virginia. He hits those two free throws and then makes a good pass there uh, on the play to take the lead. Mm-hmm. I thought he's an upperclassman that has been through some stuff there at K-State, but I think he'll bring a good leadership uh, to that team coming off the bench. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, good addition. I think uh, the, the two things, and it's funny that it's going to be Virginia and Virginia Tech, but the two key transfers in the ACC that I think will have a story to tell at the end of the year, um, the player you just mentioned for Tech, definitely, that's huge for him to be immediately eligible. And then the night before the very first game, Trey Murphy the third being granted immediate eligibility for UVA. Um, those two, I think, are huge. Um, and as these games have developed and we've watched these teams play, we can see the importance of their eligibility being granted and what they mean to those teams. So definitely two players I'm going to keep an eye on. And um, I can't, (laughs) I love the ACC to be strong, but I don't know if I can handle tech being good in football and basketball. I need them. I need them to bow out of one. I'll give them wrestling. They're great at wrestling. They can have that, but um, we've got to keep the, uh, we got to keep the balance of power right now. So We'll see what happens, but yeah, Tech Tech is looking good, and we'll see what the season holds for him. Yeah, I, I just watched uh, UNC wrap up. They, they trailed uh, Stanford for a little bit, but they mm-hmm. pulled it out. Uh, I think just from top to bottom, you're right. A team that picked, was picked 11th, if they're going to compete every single night, that makes it so much more difficult. Uh, a lot of these conferences, if you – if you don't have that cupcake game, uh, I know in Big 12 football, you, every team gets a bye week essentially to play Kansas. If you don't have those teams to kind of uh, walk through uh, what you want to do, it's going to make for a tough season for everybody. Yeah, I mean, every team in the Big 12 gets a double bye because they get the one granted by the NCAA in Kansas. So uh, <laughs> shout out to Les Miles for helping the Big 12 in that, in that aspect and uh, keep it going, big guy. <laughs> so we'll dive into the upsets there uh, you want to jump over to talk about the new rankings that just came out monday night yeah so uh the way we're going to do this every week is we'll just we'll start at 25 and we'll go five teams at a time and see if anything stuck out or if anything seemed relatively chalk um and and just go from there. It's probably the easiest way to do it for us um and i'll start with the top 25 uh, going 20, 21 through 25 there. 
the thing that stuck out to me and my heart goes out to them is the players and the fans of Rutgers. Um, they played their butts off and didn't move a single spot. They opened preseason number 24. Uh, they go 3-0 and and got placed at 24. And the thing that stinks about it is outside of what's on paper, we know nothing about FSU, Florida State, and Oregon. Yet you you look at that, and Oregon's at 21, Florida State's at 22, sitting at 0-0. They haven't played yet. I don't understand. Now, if you want to put them at 24 and 25 because they were preseason ranked and, you know, that that's just you just want to keep them ranked, that's fine. But when a team like Rutgers starts at 24, goes 3-0, and and you, you re-rank them at 24 a week later, that that's crushing uh, to me. So that, that was the one that, that stuck out to me. And then we've got Arizona State. Uh, they went two and one. They dropped seven spots to number twenty-five um, after uh, Virginia Tech beat Nova. It looks like that's kind of who replaced them. So um, I guess that's Arizona State's penalty for Virginia Tech because you got they had they had to figure out a way to put Virginia Tech in. I guess, um, but that's really what stuck out to me was was Oregon or Rutgers still being at twenty-four at three and zero behind two gameless teams and a 2-0 Ohio State. What about you there? I thought Arizona State got robbed a little bit. I think that dropping seven spots after losing to Villanova is a little high. I thought they played real well in that game. I agree with you, though, that Rutgers, that they deserve to move up after three big wins. Uh, Oregon and FSU, we'll see what they have later on. But being 0-0 when some teams get three games in, I, I think that's that's not right by the committee or the AP poll to to not adjust that. It put them at the bottom, but give these teams some credit for pulling out some wins. Yeah, I, I think I lost you there. The last like 30 seconds of your audio went out on me, um, so I couldn't hear you. Uh, you finished there, but um, while you figure that out, I, I could see some of your lips and some of the things you were saying, and I agree with most of what you said there. Um, definitely things that are outliers that probably won't, occur very often, uh, very often. And so we'll, you know, see where that comes. Um, and, and I don't know if you, if you jumped into the 16 verse 20, um, but, uh, as you're trying to figure out your, your sound difficulties there, um, I'll jump into the 16 and through 20. Um, and again, this might sound biased, um, but I assure you, this is not because I'm a UVA fan at all, but, um, how in the world is Virginia tech number 16? How, how does that happen? Um, great win against Nova. We've covered that at nausea for me. Um, it was very, very nauseating for me to talk about how great they played and that, that win. But the other two wins, like we said, against Radford, with which they struggled early, and South Florida, not impressive. They didn't receive any votes in the preseason poll. At least Richmond got 40 votes in the preseason poll and went out and beat Kentucky. Um, so I guess by that logic, if Virginia Tech beats number three Villanova and automatically gets to be number 16, then San Francisco should be number 17, I guess. I don't know I don't know how you can have a team that didn't get any preseason votes to be in the top 25 win one solid quality win, and now all of a sudden they're number 16. I'm not saying they shouldn't be ranked. It just seems like a slap in the face to Richmond, who – did have preseason top 25 votes, the fifth most of any school that didn't get in uh, to the top 25. They go and beat number 10 Kentucky. They went 3-0 and as well, and they get, they get to sit there at number 19. Um, that, that is what stuck out to me on this particular, this particular group of five here. Um, I, just, I just don't see the justification in Virginia Tech being number 16 after not having any votes whatsoever. Where are you at on that? Yeah, going back to your points there, I totally agree with Virginia Tech being ranked way too high. I think 3-0 the first week, you probably deserve to step your way into the top 25 rankings. That was a huge overreaction. So hopefully that gets corrected here over the next couple weeks as more games are played. I think they just did a disservice to some of the other teams that Virginia Tech jumped over. One that stood out for me in this group was Texas Tech not putting up the points. Um, 
were you able to hear that part when I said it earlier? About the the amount of points Texas Tech was was able to put up and how that's not going to be something they do often. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Um, okay, you know, I, I wasn't sure if that part got recorded. Yeah. No, you're good. Um, that's a great point about Texas Tech. Uh, we got to watch them two years ago make their run through the Big 12 and make their run through to the to the national championship game. Um, great overtime game that ended well for me, not so well for Texas Tech, but a great game and two great coaches. Um, but that's that's another team, you know, that's not going to have high output on the offensive end. They're going to be a defensive grinding team, one possession. They're going to crash the boards. They're going to send nobody to the offensive glass and get back on defense. So, yeah, I think um, – I think those those two performances in particular where they they had those high offensive outputs will definitely be outliers. Um, they're definitely going to be in more grind-out games. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I love that analysis. So we'll dive into the next group here. We get uh, both of our teams to talk about. We, we, we dove into Virginia a little bit. Uh, I'll just get my West Virginia fandom out of the way real quick. I think the offense <laughs> is not any different than what it was last year, uh, I think. The there was a lot of hype coming in that, that this team might be a better shooting team than it was a year ago. I think it really comes down to what this offense wants to be because I think that it's unconventional, but if you just want to tell Sean McNeil and Taz Sherman to shoot the ball anytime they're wide open or anytime there's a little bit of an opening, I think that's the best opportunity to get shots on the rim and let Culver and Toshibwe do their thing on the inside because I don't think they're getting better shots outside of those two. No. And I think that that's again, spot on analysis as a team, you've got to have an offensive identity. Um, It's okay to be very tall, very lengthy and very athletic. But if you're, if you're going to be a shooter, be a shooter. If you're going to be an interior threat, be an interior threat and let the other, the other, whichever you choose, let the opposite complement your game. You can't say, okay, this five-minute stretch, I'm going to be, you know, an interior threat, and then this next five-minute stretch, I'm going to be an outside threat. Um, it did. That's what I saw, um, especially against the game against Western Kentucky. Um, I, I thought I saw a very hard struggle for West Virginia's offensive identity and what they're going to be. The good news is, is the amount of turnovers that that y'all create and the the hard defense y'all play is going to keep y'all in all the games. Um, Y'all were able to go three and zero over that over the weekend. So yeah, I think that you've you've got the the nail on the head there with the offensive identity, and and West Virginia will be all right. I think that I mean they got a four spot bump. Um, I thought they could have been top ten, and the team I was looking out for because you know if you you figure if you're going to bump a team into the top ten, you got to bump a team out of the top ten. The team I was looking at was Creighton, um, and not so much so that Creighton is a worse team. Um, but Creighton only played the one game. Um, we saw a lot from West Virginia in the three games they played. Um, but I, again, jumping four spots is great. You see UVA there at 15. Uh, just so just so all the fans out there, I'm true to my word. I'm not biased. I think that that is fair. I honestly thought with the way the media reacts to UVA and their style of play, I was expecting us to be somewhere around 18 or 20. Um, after that loss, because we were outplayed. It wasn't one of those games where both teams were playing really well, and it's a shame one team had to lose. We got outplayed. We got out-schemed. We got out-coached. So I was fully expecting to be somewhere around 18 to 20. So to hang there at 15, that's cool with me. There you go again, though. Number 13, Tennessee, didn't play a single game, and they're in the top 15. Um, It just, that doesn't, I think my personal opinion is Tennessee, um, Tennessee, Oregon, and Florida State should be 23, 24, and 25. And if, yeah. But what you see on paper, you think that they're going to be really good, that's great. Keep them there. But until they, have, until they have output on the floor, you can't justify them being better than other teams because we don't have their body of work. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's what the preseason rankings are for. No one's played yet. So on paper, this is how we feel. 
that's done now. Games are being played, and the teams that haven't played should not maintain their rankings or be ahead of teams that haven't played. That's just a personal opinion, but I don't get paid the money to make the decisions like the <laughs> ones who are. So, uh, but yeah, that was right in my bad. I, I thought they did it right in college football because some of the conference di- conferences didn't start right away. So there was the preseason rankings that had the teams in it. And then once games started being played, those teams fell out. And then you started to see them funnel back in as the mm-hmm. season went along. I think that would have been a much better, better way to go about it. So they, they messed that up, but hopefully it starts to, uh, starts to get to the point where all the teams get some games in here. So then we actually know who teams are. And the one thing that college basketball has over college football is the amount of games they play. Uh, you know, they're allowed to max out at 27 um, for the regular season. Um, most of them get to around 24 to 27, them, you know, depending on the tournament invitations they accept at the beginning of the season. So there is more time to trickle that out. The one team to your college football note um, that I was worried about was Ohio State. You know, the Big Ten, they had, you know, a, a heavy delay in when they started their season. And the one thing that I always thought was what happens if Ohio state goes out there and Ohio state only gets to play, let's say seven games and around game four, the number two, number three, number four Buckeyes lose a game. Where are they going to go? Are, are y'all going to bump them? How far out are y'all going to bump them? Because we know the playoff is all about money. Um, and so I always thought that it was, the way that they did it, I, I'm just saying I agree with you uh, that, that that was the best way to do it and keeping some of the teams out and then funneling them back in. But they didn't do that for Ohio State. And I, I was really hoping that the Indiana game would turn out differently so it would come back and bite them in the butt um, <laughs> because it's all about money. It's all about money. I think in a, in a COVID-plagued year, I think the playoff this year, let's give the people what they want. No one's going to the games. Okay, we're I'm I'm sick of seeing the same teams. You can keep Alabama in, that's fine. But what it, let's if everyone has to watch from home and you're not worried about the fan bases they can travel and the money that their fans bring, why not throw in the Cincinnati's, the BYU's, the teams like that? And just I mean, we're all going to be watching from home anyway, so all you're really worried about is viewership ratings yeah. and ad dollars. And everyone's going to watch the playoff. That's what we wait for. People that don't know a thing about football watch the playoff and the Super Bowl. <laughs> Like, so it was just, it was interesting to me um, to see that. But yeah, uh, basketball is what we're talking about. I'll make one last note and then we'll keep going. But if Cincinnati goes undefeated and doesn't end up in the playoff, I'm going to be highly disappointed because I've been big on them all year long. So hopefully things work out till they find a way to get in. Yeah. And, and you know, the same with BYU. It's just, it's so transparent what the committee does when it comes in terms of dollars. I mean, you can say BYU, oh, they're, you know, they're independent. They didn't have a conference of it. Well, so is Notre Dame. And it wasn't until Notre Dame not being in a conference or affiliated the right way with a conference, I'll say that, um, that until that was threatened that they said, we'll be the ACC this year. We're going to play. And then when they made that decision, the ACC said, okay, well, because of we don't know what's going to go on, there's no divisions this year. It's just going to be winning percentage, the top two winning percentages in conference. That's who will play for the championship. And it's like, man, BYU deserves every bit of the shot as any of these other teams do. If they go 12-0 and and Ohio State goes 8-1, and Ohio State needs to get out. Go. Yeah. I don't want to watch you all get blown out again in the semifinals. I'm done with that. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Let's let's see what happens when some of these other teams get a chance. Uh, yeah. Jumping back to basketball, getting into the top 10, we take a look at number 6 through 10. One story that outside of basketball is great to see, I was happy to see Josh Lankford actually be able to step on the floor and play a game for Michigan State. He was probably ended up looking like one of their best players in that freshman class with Bridges, Winston, and Ward. And he has his uh, stress fractures that uh, make him unable to play for much of his uh, college basketball 
or his time in college basketball, but he's finally healthy, getting back. The, he helped Michigan State to two wins. Uh, I was happy to see that. Yeah, um, and I guess it's okay that we went on a little bit of a college football tangent because on my end, I didn't see anything surprising here. Um, I, I agree with every single one of those rankings. We're sitting here um, about an hour, you know, 53 minutes away from seeing what Duke's going to do um, at home against Michigan State down there in Cameron Indoor. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not too bad on that. So, yeah, we can move on to the top five. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you there. So top five, we, we see that they like the Big Ten. The, the Big Ten impressed in their victories enough to move three of them into the top five. So I think that Illinois in their scare against Ohio ended up as the third-ranked team there. I still think they're the best team. Uh, I think they've got a ton of good players. But uh, what do you think about the top five? Yeah, so there, there it is, my dark horse, Illinois, breaking the top five. We talked about this a little bit when we previewed it, and it's not, you know, it's kind of odd to hear dark horse for the number five team in the country. But the reason behind that is, is I mean, name the last Big Ten team to win the national championship. I exactly. Mich- so Michigan State. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that was what <laughs> two. It's it was a while ago. So yeah. it, it, they're a dark horse in the terms of my national title contender. Um, the three-headed monster they have of Desumu, uh, Kofi Cockburn, and Adam Miller are as good as advertised. And in my particular opinion, the the three games they played put the Big Ten on notice that the title goes through Champaign. I mean, they are the team in the Big Ten. Um, Got to talk about number one, Gonzaga. Uh, yet again, Gonzaga is – they're long. I mean, long out there. Um, and Timmy didn't disappoint, but I was – Man, I, I I can't get this guy out of my mind. Uh, Jalen Suggs, <laughs> he impressed the dog piss out of me. Like that kid, single-handedly, Kansas, Kansas hung in there. But if you go back and watch that game, and people will say, oh, Kansas doesn't have that, that, you know, that, that one guy they can go to and get a bucket, and Gonzaga does. That's not it. Around the 12-minute mark left in that game, they had been going back and forth, and Jalen Suggs said, frick this, I'm winning this game. And he went off. He went off. True freshman. The kid is 18 years old. He just got done playing for a state championship in high school, and here he is playing against number six Kansas and says, y'all don't have anyone that can check me. Exactly. He went, he went I, off. Um, incredible. I totally agree with you there because – a little spoiler alert for uh, in a little bit here. He's in my top five players in the country. I, Has I, to be. I was very impressed with everything that he did. Number one team in the country. You're a freshman around all these upperclassmen that have been talked about. And then you still go out and just say, no, this is my team. I'm taking over in a big game. And he, he stepped up. Yeah. And, and, you know, shame on me for not knowing his name ahead of time, but when, when you go and watch a basketball game and you're like, man, Gonzaga's got a lot of senior leadership and it starts with that guy number one right there. And then you find out he's a freshman. I mean, just the command he had of the floor, the, the, the flow of the game, it just everything came natural to him. It was, it was shocking. They played two games so far. He's averaging 18 points. He's shooting 62.5% from the field. We're going to hear his name. A, a lot this year, and I think it's going to pop up in the Wooden Award. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's impo- it's it's high his ceiling, um, and and then you know Baylor's in there number two. I'm just I've never been sold on Baylor, and I just I think when games get tight and and offense is needed, their coach crumbles. Like it's just he's not a good game manager, and I think that that bites them in the tail a lot of the time. But we'll mm-hmm. see. We'll see because tomorrow, I believe, no, Saturday, Saturday, we've got number one versus number two, Baylor versus Gonzaga. So we'll see what Baylor's made of. Yeah, I guess um, that, uh, talking about uh, that game, uh, what are some of the games that you're looking forward to most outside of that one? Because that's a big one on Saturday. We've got a lot Mm -hmm. of big games coming up uh, to talk about. 
so the, for me, the top games this week uh, was going to be UVA versus St. Francis. Of course, that was going to be a big bounce back game. As we record this, um, UVA handled business. It was 45-13 at half. Um, and the final score, I think, was 70, high 70s to 38, something like that. Um, so the defense showed its teeth. I think the guys are buying in a little bit more. They're younger. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, of course, number one versus number two. The one I'm actually looking forward to the most, though, there are two teams playing here in now 45 minutes that have a lot of question marks, and that's Michigan State and Duke, number six and number eight, respectively. I think that this level of competition always brings out the best in the players. So I think even though the season's early and the two teams are young, how they play in a big-time game will show you the ceiling that those two teams have. So to have, you know, last year we had, or two years ago we had this happen where Duke had experience, Duke had Trey Jones, Duke had great recruits, and Michigan State was young, and Duke beat Michigan State by like 50. I agree with you. Oh, make myself some dinner, sit down, and I'm really looking forward to watching those two games tonight. What are you uh, having for dinner tonight, JT? What's on the menu? Uh, some some chicken with uh, in a skillet with some veggies, some teriyaki sauce, and some rice going with it. Uh, Ooh. A quick meal uh, should be done fairly quickly. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, trying to eat on the healthier end. So it's uh, got some low sodium okay. uh, uh, teriyaki sauce. <laughs> Yeah, once basketball season gets here, you got to switch the diet because the beer consumption goes up. Yeah, so exactly. you got you got to get the calories from the beer and not so much from the food. <laughs> uh, exactly. I, I like where your head's at. That's definitely uh, my approach. Um, nice. But it, Wednesday, well, I guess we're recording. Uh, that's to uh, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Get, get to watch number one Gonzaga against my Mountaineers. That that's gonna be the test. I think Gonzaga most likely rolls them uh, with a double-digit victory. Uh, but uh, I'm hopeful that we can at least show some things that, that we can move towards uh, later on in the season correcting. But defensively, I'm not really sure that West Virginia is at the level that they have been in the last couple of years. They gave up a lot of back screens and uh, had a tough time staying in front of guys uh, from time to time in those first three games. But I'm still interested in seeing that. And then Illinois and Baylor, Illinois finally gets a ranked opponent. They mm-hmm. beat two of those teams last week by 60. So let's see yeah. what they do going up against number what two. What a week Baylor has, man. My gosh. Number five yeah. and number one in the same week. Woo. Uh, Scott Drew, he, uh, here's his chance to show what kind of coach he is. It, it's going to be a busy week. Yeah, I'm actually uh, – you're talking there with your head, and and I love that. Um, but I- I'm talking with my head too. I'm actually, I think by the time Gonzaga gets to Baylor on Saturday, they've got a loss. I, the one thing that I saw on the, the two games of Gonzaga that I watched, uh, obviously they only played two, but they had some endurance issues. And even if West Virginia's defense isn't as effective as it traditionally is, that type of game is exhausting, period. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. I, I, think, I think there's a good chance West Virginia squeaks one out this week. I, I, like, I like West Virginia tomorrow. I like hearing that. Um, I think that the true test is going to be the first half. If West Virginia can keep it within a single-digit game in the first half, then I fully jump on board with you there. That as the game plays out, West Virginia has the guys that can last longer and they just wear you down. So uh, I'll be really watching that first half to see how they're able to stick with Gonzaga early on. Nice. All right. So let's go. So we've been through one week of college basketball. Um, We've seen over a hundred (laughs) games, which, you know, from an analysis standpoint is a good, is a good amount of games. Uh, We were blessed with a plethora of basketball. So let's talk about our top five players through week one. I want to hear yours first. Give me your top five. Okay, so I went with a little – mine's a little different than maybe you would expect. Uh, I have two players that really stood out, but then my three, four, and five, I went with three freshmen. They really stood out of impressing me in their first college basketball games. 
Caitlin Suggs, we talked about earlier at number five. And then number four is somebody that I'm I'm huge on being a Big 12 guy. Kate Cunningham, he's not going to have a good team. He's not going to get a lot of wins. But he is a dominant player whenever he has the ball. He can score it well. I was impressed. He had, I think, two 20-point games uh, last week. And then my third, in the loss to Villanova, Arizona State had Josh Christopher go off for 28 points. I thought Villanova had a great game plan there to shut down Remy Martin. They put some size on him and really made it difficult for him to score, being only six foot. So they had Christopher step up, hit some big shots uh, all game long for them. And top two, it's going to be the two that I think fight for National Play of the Year all year long. It's Io Desumu from Illinois. And at number one, Luke Garza putting up a 40-point performance with only one missed shot. He mm-hmm. leads that Iowa team. They're very deep as well. They put up a, uh, they averaged 100 points in their two games. But that that is my top five. Okay, and I'm glad you took that approach because I took a different approach. You went kind of from a um, from an output standpoint and some names that we've heard of that should be there. Um, with it being week one, I went a little bit on the, the the things I saw that shocked me that I wasn't expecting to see. Um, so I'm going to go number five. Uh, Marcus Sasser from Houston. He impressed me. They played three games. Um, all he did was average 17 points and shoot 50% from the field. I mean, you know, no yeah, big deal. Uh, <laughs> he's he, he's legit. Houston's got a decent team. Um, so I look forward more from him. Uh, my number four was Nathan K.O. from Richmond. Uh, 18 points against Kentucky. We saw that. But he also had 23 points against Moorhead State. He went 10 from 10 from the field and one for one from three. He shot 100% in the game against Moorhead State and then followed it up with 18 points in an upset of Kentucky. So kudos to Nathan K.O. He's in my, he's in my number four. Number three, Sam Hauser from UVA, and here's, here's why. Obviously, they lost to San Francisco. That's fine. I didn't get a chance to see Marquette. They don't get televised very often. Um, and if they are, there's other games that you'd rather watch. So I have never seen Sam Hauser really play, but I've been getting fed all this hype, and he fit the bill. He is every bit of everything they said he was. He's NBA ready. Um, he's the real deal. So he gets number three for me. My number two is going to be Jalen Johnson, a freshman for Duke. Um, he threw out a 19.19 rebound double-double. And there was one one thing in particular that stuck out to me. I believe he's 6'10", 6'9", 6'10". He's a strong forward. Um, and he got a rebound and went coast to coast, let it himself, and threw it down. Okay. Not supposed to be able to do that at 6'10", but we'll roll <laughs> with it. And then my number one is, uh, is Jalen Suggs, because, I mean, that dude came out of nowhere and just took over the weekend for me. So those are my top five. Uh, Marcus Sasser from Houston, Nathan K.O. from Richmond, Sam Hauser with UVA, Jalen Johnson for Duke, and Jalen Suggs for Gonzaga. Uh, I like that list. Uh, Suggs definitely is someone that we'll be hearing about and talking about all season long. Yes, sir. So with, uh, with that, that is our week one recap. So uh, we'll be back next week to talk about some more of these games uh, that we talked about a little bit ago. You can find me everywhere at JTZ4. And you want to drop your stuff? Yeah, just uh, Sports with BJ. That's Sports with Bravo Juliet. I'm on, that's my handle on all social media. So you can find me there Anchor, Spotify, anywhere you get a podcast, I'm there. Uh, check us out at sportshiftmedia.com. Uh, let us know what you think. And uh, we'll be back next week.